What Up World? It's your pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. In today's episode, we're joined by Kevin Pelton, king of the Northwest. You may know him from ESPN.com or from wearing a tie on press row in Portland. Kevin, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. It bugs me out that I'm not going to be there on press row on Wednesday night. We, we'll see when I make it back down. Yeah, but you will be wearing a tie by the time you arrive, whenever that is. <laughs> it is a safe assumption. Yeah, not always. Not always. I think you're most, maybe most famous for tying your tie right before media availability. See you in the back hallway just before an assistant or an opposing coach, <laughs> away coach speaks, putting that tie on, getting ready. Because I, I don't want to wear the... Right. I don't want to wear the tie the entire three hour drive down from Seattle. <laughs> it might be a fun look, you know, really a really formal drive as you make <laughs> your way. Uh, KB, the Blazers have played four preseason games as we record this on Sunday evening. One, one in which the championship parade was being scheduled. We had right on schedule for that late July championship parade here in Portland. And then things went... A little, little sideways for our beloved pinwheels or the listeners' beloved pinwheels, probably not your beloved pinwheels. How much stock do you put into the exhibition season? Uh, maybe just in general and maybe specifically for this team. In general, I would say a little. I mean, I think it's one of those tough things where people sort of treat it as if there are two binary options that either the preseason means everything because it's the only thing we've seen of this year's team or, you know, the only thing we've seen in. I don't even know how many months it's been since the Blazers were eliminated for the playoffs, but that amount of time, or it means nothing at all. And historically, the relationship is somewhere a little in between there where there is some predictive power to the preseason. It tells us something, but not as much certainly as the previous season or as preseason expectations for a team. And you know, I think the unusual nature of this year's preseason in particular is, A, the Blazers only played four games. Right. Uh, most of the research that we've done on the value of the preseason is back when it was a full eight and, you know, it's been shrinking from then. But four is still relatively small even compared to that and B against only two different teams. So if the Blazers just don't match up well with the Nuggets or if the Nuggets are way better than we thought they were, then, you know, that's going to pretty strongly influence what we learned from the Blazers preseason. So it's a it's a bit of a yellow flag to me that they struggled as much defensively as they did especially in the first half, because you can probably throw out the fourth quarter stats from the preseason. But the first half, you know, it is generally regular rotations out there. Yeah, game game three against the third game of the preseason against Denver, the first one in Denver, uh, Damon CJ played a combined 36 minutes in the first half. They each played 18 first half minutes, and the Blazers gave up 80 points and were down 20 at the break. Like, I, I think preseason doesn't matter mostly, but... They look how they look, and it wasn't good. There wasn't a lot. Of, there wasn't a lot of positive things from that one. Um, the the big the big sort of change here that they they've tried to implement in preseason is is a shifting defensive scheme. They you know it's they've been seven consecutive seasons of playing a pretty standard drop coverage with dropping the big man back and pick and rolls, and they they're shifting things up. They want to play a little more aggressive. What have you seen if you, um, in your viewing of the Blazers in the exhibition world from that new defensive look? 
obviously the results, as you mentioned in Denver, I watched the first half of the game on Wednesday and then just the second half of the game on Friday night were not great. I mean, I, I think if you look at the Blazers on paper, you know, the, the center who's best qualified to play that defensive scheme for them is pretty clearly Harry Giles. Like there's right. a reason the Blazers have dropped in the past with Yusuf Nurkic and with Ennis Cantor. It's sort of been the way that they've been most effective. And, you know, with Cantor in particular, the way that, they got more out of him defensively than anybody, myself certainly included, thought was possible when they signed him as a free agent in, in 2018 so or 2019 or whatever. Again, I don't know what, what time or year. Yeah, it, it, was, it was the spring of 2019. Uh, was they a, got him. Or late winter 2019. A simpler time. The, yeah, the indeed. spring of 2019. Yeah, so... You know, I, there was a reason they did that. And I think sometimes when a defensive scheme fails, like the Blazers scheme failed last year, you know, there's a tendency to forget, well, there's a reason you chose this. It wasn't because of the fact that, you know, Terry Stotts knows a lot about basketball. He chose it for a reason. Uh, the counter argument, I think, is that this is not just the Blazers. This is sort of a league-wide trend away from using the drop. And, right. And particularly in playoff situations, we've seen that, it, you know, against point guards like Damian Lillard, you can't do this because exactly. they're just going to torch it. So I, I get why they're trying. And I think there may be some bumps along the road that you sort of have to live with for later in the season. But it's also, I think, going to influence personnel. And the other guy, you know, we haven't seen a lot of Zach Collins playing that kind of defensive style, at, you know, maybe when he was at power forward previously, but not as a center. And it'll be interesting to see when he comes back, you know, how effective he can be in that role as well. Yeah, he seems to be the guy that could make this all work. Uh, obviously, the bigs, it doesn't really make sense with the bigs. Uh, I think we can kind of leave Cantor out of it because if the Blazers are bad with the second unit, um, that includes Rodney Hood and Carmelo Anthony and NS Cantor on defense, I don't know that there's a scheme that really... Um, the, there doesn't seem to be a scheme that puts that group over the top. There's probably a scheme that dropping probably mitigates some of their issues. Um, but that group's going to be bad on defense, no matter what I kind of think, but is, is, is Nurk capable of this in your eyes? Like, is this, is this growing pains or is, or is Nurk like just not maybe, maybe not built for this plan. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, you know, again, we, we've only seen a limited amount of Nurkic in this setting where, you know, obviously he missed all the time last season. He came back and gave the Blazers a huge lift in the seeding games last year, but he also pretty clearly wasn't 100% and was playing way more minutes than he should have been, right. you know, with that little game action under his belt. Now you've had this layoff. Uh, he was a little late to practice. So I, I think it's going to be understandable if he struggles early, but on paper, I think you would think that the best way to use Nurkic is to keep him around the basket as much as possible because of his size. And again, he's been very effective in this scheme. Yeah, I I know that the sort of the fan base has been clamoring for a change in defensive principles. And there was this great interview with Dame. I forget who it was with. I wish I could credit them. I, it might have been Taylor Rooks, but it, it's someone during the bubble where he he was just like, I don't understand drop coverage. Like, I don't get it. And I kind of think that mentality has fueled this way forward. Um, I just, I'm not sure you can, I'm not sure this group can play it against every team every single night. Is That's my biggest concern. And it's might be too much to ask them to have um, the sort of Miami Heat level, seven different defenses in the bag. Uh, maybe that's, maybe I'm asking too much to think that that's a possibility. 
Right. And I think it's probably a happy medium in between there where maybe you stay with the drop with Nurkic and Canner on the court. But when you go a little bit smaller and mo more mobile at center, you do have the ability to try something else. And, you know, uh, there's been a lot of discussion from Neil Olshay about, you know, it was a combination of personnel and tactics at the defensive right. end. And those sort of go hand in hand. The personnel inform who what kind of tactics make the most sense for you. All right. Let's take a quick break. Come back in the second segment and talk more about the Blazers defense. We haven't talked Robert Covington, Derek Jones Jr. So we got it. We got to touch on those two because they're a big part of what the defense is going to be like. But before we get there, I want to tell my listeners about bet online. The NBA season is days away. So if you want to get your picks in for MVPs for playoff placement for who wins the dang championship, there's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust. That's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. So look, if you know the Blazers are going to be good this year, even after a rough preseason, get over to betonline.ag and prove it. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get in on the action and don't forget to use the promo code while you're there. That's locked on L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also brought to you by 1010. Now, you may have read about this in New York Times or Forbes, but I'm excited to tell you about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinct designers working today. Using diamonds only responsibly sourced from Botswana, 1010 Masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring, launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. And when they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're making 2021 plans or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th, and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. All right. We're still chatting here with Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com. In the first segment, we talked about the Blazers' shifting defensive schemes. But we mostly focused on the big guys. Two other, the sort of names we haven't mentioned here and the Blazers' big acquisitions this summer, the personnel um, upgrades defensively, at least theoretically, of Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. Those seem to be guys that would inform this decision um, to be a little bit more aggressive, right? Like to to be a team that for, tries to force more turnovers by playing a, a slightly more aggressive defensive style. They, to me, they seem to fit it, um, and and I think that could be enough to uh, to kind of push you in the direction towards change. Because, like you said, it's sort of a league wide change. Um, or at least it's it's becoming more common where a lot of teams play drop for so long. What have you seen? What have you liked and disliked from the Blazers' new wings in Covington and uh, Derek Jones Jr. so far? 
you know, tough to get too much of a read from them on the preseason. It's been interesting sure. to see Jones being more aggressive, shooting the three, and, and Terry Stotts kind of calling a play for that early in their first preseason game. But, you know, they're going to make an impact at the defensive end of the court, and it, it is more similar to the front court you had previously with Aminu and Harkless and the interchangeability of those two guys, the athleticism of them. So, I, yeah, I think you definitely can be more aggressive with them and, you know, maybe play different coverages depending on if it's the powerful that one of them is covering in the pick and roll or if it's the center that's in the pick and roll and those are two guys who also give you the option of switching now right it's a little tougher to do in for the blazers because of the size of their backcourt with damian lillard and cj mccollum i mean you know lillard has fought against bigger opponents he did a great job of that in the seeding games in particular but you know if he's switching on a 610 power forward there's only so much you can do at his size no matter how hard you work at the defensive end but you know that's another thing they bring in and i think if you're bringing Derek jones and in, in coming to the level of the screen then their length starts to become a factor in the play and that's you know with jones in particular his biggest strength it was interesting I, I never really thought of him in Miami is an incredible one-on-one defender, which is sort of how he's been advertised in Portland. I agree. Uh, with you. you know, similar to right, similar to Covington, where his strength is more being in the passing lanes, playing in zones in Miami. Uh, you know, they played zone a much more uh, more possessions of zone with him on the court relatively. And he would play that he point of the zone, court. like he would be at the top of it and use that length kind of as the sort of top, you know, perimeter disruptor at the head of the zone a lot. Exactly. He was a big factor in, you know, that's something I wrote about back during last year's conference finals that Miami really, you know, spearheaded in the league, the idea that we're going to put some of our forwards on the front line of the zone and our guards on the back line because of the fact that it's important to have that length out there to both affect passes and closing out and it's something we've seen at the college level you know i'm a university of washington grad so i watch mike hopkins version of the syracuse 2-3 zone on a regular basis and that's something they did with matisse theibel to great success yeah he was he wrecked things in uh in in the zone up top despite zone being for cowards um (laughs) (laughs) go heels uh it's it's curious to me the Blazers you know they needed really like they desperately needed one on one defenders elite wing stoppers and they got two guys who were just like good, really good team defenders it's kind of like um, this is that's how the market works for these types of things um, I'm I'm curious do you when when so they're gonna they're going to run this certain lineup with with Co- with Covington and Derek Jones Jr. as starters I kind of thought they would go another direction. Uh, to sort of balance the two groups. And I've already mentioned this, that I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about the defense on, I mean, I'm, the defense overall looks bad right now, but let's assume that that the the Nuggets just had a couple good nights or whatever. Does, does it make sense for the Blazers to sort of have a really good defensive group and a really bad defensive group? Like, do you see um, any issues with the sort of way that the rotation has worked in terms of not having maybe enough good defenders on the back half of the rotation? Yeah, the mellow canter combination, as you brought up earlier, that's that's going to be a tough one to work around because, yeah. you know, those are two below average defenders, two targets defensively at your most important defensive position. So, but I don't know that I see a good solution to that because offensively, it does make a lot of sense to bring Mello off the bench for all the Totally. That's his best spot. Yeah, and, and not have him, you know, kind of competing for the ball with, with CJ and Dame. So I, I get it. And I think. You know, I think it's probably okay because it, with the second unit, maybe your logic is just going to be, hey, we're going to be so tough to stop offensively with those two guys who there's a reason 
they continue to play big minutes despite their defensive limitations sure. that we're just going to you know try to keep it even with opponents by out, by out scoring so efficiently at the other end and then as long as we're positive with the starters on the court we'll be fine so i i think that's reasonable and i i don't know that you know I, there's not a downside to having Cummington and Jones out there together the more uh, the more quality team defenders the better you, you, those aren't redundancies Right, right. I think me and you talked about this kind of pre-Gary Trent Jr. breakout was I I said, I asked you one night at the arena, like, how many above average defenders did the Blazers have on the roster last year? Um, And the answer was maybe zero at the time. No, it was probably uh, an over-under of a half. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, and it was, you know, there was some debate over where Trevor Ariza at 35 years old fit on that half, whether where where you were going to bet on him. I think they have like, I think they have several now. Like, I think, I think you'd have to bump the over under to like four and a half, maybe with Jones and Covington and Gary Trent Jr. looks like one and Nurk certainly looks like one. Is that, is that fair? Have we, have we jumped up that high? I think that's reasonable. Yeah. I mean, Nurkic, I, I think I put him on my all defensive second team a couple of years ago, or, you know, maybe back mm-hmm. in 18 when he was healthy, uh, the full season. So, you know, again, we haven't seen a lot of him post-injury to know exactly where he's at with his mobility right now but you would put him into that group going into the season Jones and Covington certainly qualify and and yeah Gary Trent really showed something as an individual defender I mean I I think if you were the Blazers and you were in an ideal scenario you would like go in the lab and and take a few of the skill sets of some of the guys and and switch them with others so if you had uh, one of these guys with Covington and Jones's size, but Derek, but Gary Trent's individual defense, then that would really be ideal because he's a little too small to guard some right. of those top wings, as as we found out in the Lakers series was reproven. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, 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 there's certainly more options who are positive at that end of the court. Sure, uh, Ben Golliver, when he was on uh, this podcast maybe six weeks ago, offered the uh, hockey sub solution where uh, Mello goes in on offense and then as they run back down in transition defense, he just hops over the boards and then they throw out uh, Derek Jones Jr. to play defense on that end. So some kind of version of that is when they're in help, it's it's Derek Jones Jr. And then when you get a tough one-on-one guard assignment, uh, Gary Trent just like runs in and, and, and gets that similar thing. The Blazers, they, they got to get, they got to opt the league for hockey subs. It's their best, their best route forward <laughs> is to be able to play a combination of nine guys at any given time. Well, if they haven't been able to petition the league to move out of the Western Conference, then I'm not sure this one's going to work either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of teams, if you give them the chance, could could you just trade East? Um, maybe not this year because there's like seven good Eastern Conference teams. But for a while, um, I think just like let us trade East. We're definitely the fourth best team. We promise. Um, let's take a quick break. Come back in a second. I want to ask you about where, speaking of the Blaze, the you know, the conferences and the playoffs and all that, where the Blazers stack up. That's what we'll do to close out the show. But first, I want to tell you all about Built Bar. You know Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar that there is. And if you don't know Built Bar, let me just tell you right now, it's the best tasting protein bar that there is and there ever has been. comes in 18 amazing flavors like caramel brownie, cherry barcia, peanut butter, salted caramel, orange, toffee almond, coconut, Each one of those is covered in 100% real chocolate. It's soft and easy to chew. It's got that candy bar-like texture. If you are familiar with the world of protein bars, you've probably sunk your teeth into some chalky, dry, gross ones. Built Bar's not doing that. 
They're making the best protein bars that there's ever been. These things are delicious. Look, you've heard me do a lot of ad reads if you're a familiar listener to this show. Bill Bar, is, Bill Bar just makes really good product. These things are popular in my house, and I, I'm willing to wager you try them out, they'll be popular in yours too. So why not give it a shot? Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKDOWN. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKDOWN for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listen to Lockdown Blazers. We're still chatting here with Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com. Talk about Blazers' defensive schemes. A little bit what to make of their poor showing during the preseason. But let's let's look ahead. We've 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 dabbled in exhibition. Let's let's move towards the future. KP, where do you have where do you see the Blazers stacking up after a mostly lauded offseason, but a still very crowded Western Conference playoff race? Well, as I think CJ McCollum could tell you, the uh, the RPM projections I released earlier this month had the Blazers outside the top eight in the Western Conference in terms of average wins. Now, unfortunately, the aggregated version of those projections that CJ and, and many other Blazers fans saw completely left off projections for wins and the fact that, you know, this is not there's not like one scenario for what the season is going to be. Right. It's a range of possible outcomes. And the Blazers sort of came out on the wrong end of a large group of West teams that are grouped together between pretty much anywhere from third through ninth. Uh, I, I think it's probably a surprise in those projections that it was a nine-team group, including the New Orleans Pelicans, as opposed to you know an, uh, or you know going down to eight and then a break after that, which I think most people would generally agree going into the season. But you know, even with that that being outside the top eight, they still made the playoffs in a majority of my proje- simulations of the season using those projections. So, you know, I, and I think there's a lot of upward mobility from there for, you know, because of the fact that those teams are so tightly bunched. And the Blazers, as we know, last year being an exception, have had a history of outperforming their preseason projections in part because, again, last season aside, they've tended to stay pretty healthy. Yeah, they, exactly. Basically, they had mostly good injury luck and their and their two best players or two most effective players Damon CJ have um mostly play you know 80% of the games typically in their in their normal season so i think that um just sort of the iron manness of their best players has has tended to beat um you know the 538s and the rpm projections of the world 538 doesn't like them either none of the the mellow or raptor projections think they're the blazers are particularly good either i think they were um seventh maybe in the seventh best record in the west in the raptor projections what um what does rpm dislike about this team or what is where are the not maybe not dislike that's that's maybe too uh too blazer fandy of me but what why it just sounds personal like it's got no opinions you know yeah exactly it hasn't it hasn't decided that they're bad or whatever rpm just spits out fire terry stotts um what why why would their ranking end up sort of in that bunch or in the sort of you know uh lower half of that second tier of west teams bunch so i think one thing that's probably a difference between how rpm rates the blazers and how the rest of the world looks at them is you know i i think the general consensus is after this offseason portland is an extremely deep team you've got this full 10-man rotation a couple of solid guys on the outside of that you know kind of trying to get in uh you know the excitement about harry giles etc but rpm rates poorly a couple guys in that rotation in particular and i don't think it'd be surprising to anyone to find out that those are anthony simons and carmelo anthony 
What? <laughs> what? You mean Amphrey Simons, who was the worst shooting guard in the NBA, <laughs> I believe, in RPM last year? He's still bad? It hasn't changed? Uh, it is. It has improved from that. It has regressed to the mean. But like the simplest change, if you wanted to improve the Blazers' RPM projections, would be they just play CJ and Dame exclusively at point guard and give you know Trent and Hood basically those other minutes that are currently going to Simons. Do you think that's a reality? Because I think that there is a chance that that Ant, unlike last year where he was guaranteed minutes, is not in the rotation this year. Do you think that's reasonable based on sort of what you've seen? I think that is reasonable because A, you've got more options and B, it's another year into his career. So if he doesn't take a step forward, you know, I think some of the excitement and, you know, I will, I will never forget uh, Neil Olshay saying he was the most talented player he'd ever drafted. He had a question about they asked him about Nazir Little and he said that Anthony Simons is the most talented player I've ever drafted. It was <laughs> one of the great press conference moments of my time. It ranked up there with uh, me asking Anthony Simons about the his role in that final game of the 2018-19 season that the Blazers came back to win and affected the seeding throughout the conference and set up their run to the conference finals. And, you know, his answer was something on the lines of, you know, other people are saying it changed the course of history, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Sam Presti agrees with him. Sheesh. Well, it worked out well. Okay for Sam in the end. Yeah, it's, it's it could be worse. <laughs> And I and I think it's an interesting question with Melo, how his role evolves for the same reasons. Like if if the team struggles with him on the court, even if he's playing well offensively, I I don't know that he's guaranteed those minutes either. I mean, the there's all the talk about the Blazers being up front with him. There might be an even harder conversation down the road. Yeah, I think he's like a lock to to start the first you know ten or fifteen games in that twenty to twenty five minute range. Like I think they're just going to say, "Listen, we believe in you. Dame really likes you. You know, you've you quote unquote sacrificed, or or at least you understood, accepted what um, this sort of new role was going to be." But um, this team wants to win a title. I don't. I mean, like, or at least wants to be among the teams that can compete for a spot in the Western Conference Finals. And you, if you have a I think they, if Zach, when Zach is healthy, they have 11 guys who can play and that's without Harry Giles. And it's, um, at some point you're going to have to make tough decisions. So, uh, I, Mello could be someone who gets caught up in those tough decisions, but I think that's just like from reading how they do business over there at one center court, as a certain local columnist always likes to say, uh, I think he's I think he's probably got all of January to uh to figure out where he, how he fits. Yeah, at the very least until Zach Collins comes back because you know even though you do have plenty of alternatives it's not as many as when you're trying to figure out where to put him in the rotation as well. Yeah. I I think I think where Zach plays is one of the most um it's one of the biggest questions for this season and beyond for the Blazers. Obviously they uh reported this week that they're not going to extend him. He was doing extension Monday. That's not a surprise. That's how they do business. In the Neil Olshay era, they've only extended two guys off their rookie deals, uh, both max contracts to Damian Lode and CJ McCollum. Basically, if you're not a max guy, they'll wait until the summer. Um, that's that's just how they do it. They have a pretty, Neil has a pretty consistent track record of um, his guys bringing them back. You know, he's Nurk was signed an ex, or signed a second contract. Mo Harkless coming off his rookie deal signed a second contract. Byers Leonard coming off a rookie deal signed a second contract. Uh, Alan Crabb, if you want to throw him in there, but that was a strange situation. So I, I like I think I think Zach is very likely part of the future, but part of how he fits into the future is where he fits in the present. And 
I'm not sure today, like if if he was healthy right now and the season starts Tuesday, I'm not 100% sure he's in the playing rotation right now, but he might he might have to be. Um do you would you agree that he that you that you they sort of need to find minutes for Zach Collins? He gives them a combination of size and athleticism in a way that they don't really have any, anyone else on the roster who does. I mean, I guess, you know, Derek Jones sort of does pieces. He's of similar height, but he's a very different style of player. Collins is the one who gives them the most modern big man on the roster. Right. And and I kind of think they thought last year they would get a, an extended look at what him and Nurk as a pairing was. And we just, we just haven't seen that in their three years together. So we'll, I, th- I think the team still wants to get there. Zach talks about how he thought he would play a lot of four um, this season when he's back healthy. So I do think that's his spot. Although him replacing Cantor seems like a totally reasonable place in the lineup to add him in there too, because I view him as a five personally. I, would you agree? I think that's probably going to be his best position. I mean, it was interesting that we never got to see that experiment because, yeah, going into last season, there was this interesting thing it seemed like in the West where you had a couple of teams, the Lakers and the Blazers, you could maybe throw New Orleans into that category, who were playing these, you know, really big lineups without a you know, varying degrees of shooting. They're not maximizing shooting. And then on the other hand, you had a team like Utah you right. know, that was really going to the other extreme where it's, no, it's going to be a four-out system and only one big man on the court at any given time. And it was going to be interesting to see how that played out, I thought. But then by playoff time, uh, Anthony Davis was really the only one of the group standing. Yeah, exactly. And everyone else had gone even smaller. We just, it was like, you know what? Just kidding. We're not even going to play. By the time we got to the bubble, it was teams were like, cool. If you are taller than 6'10, you can't play. Like, you not not when the games matter, unless you're a very select few, Nikola Jokic, basically. And that sort of happens as the season goes on there, you know, and the playoff series goes on, they, they tend to get smaller, but I do think in the regular season, there can be value in those, those bigger units. I mean, the Lakers played some of their best basketball last season with those groups and Miami was shockingly good last year when they were starting Bam Adebayo at power forward next to our old friend Myers. Yeah. Myers was, Myers was a huge part of a team that won 50 games starting at center. You can go big and be good. Um, It's just the, the playoffs appear to be increasingly looking like a different version of the sport. Correct, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it seems like there is regular season basketball and then um, a postseason. Everyone morphs or has, if you're good, you're going to have to morph and, sh- and sh- uh, shift shapes if you want to be go deep into the postseason. And I guess theoretically, the Blazers have built themselves to do that. Um, they just have to be good in the regular season first <laughs> in order to get there. Yeah, that is always the trick of it. But that sort of go, brings us back to where we started in terms of I think that's that's uh, a key factor. And if they play less drop this season, that that defense can work really well in the regular season. Look at mm-hmm. Milwaukee posting the best defensive rating in the league last year with Brooke Lopez dropping on every single pick and totally. roll, much like his brother once did, his twin brother once did in Portland. So yeah, during the revolution here in Portland, the revolution to drop coverage brought yeah, brought I, on by the addition of Robin Lopez. It, and it really, the Blazers were a forerunner and now, you know, they're, they're seeing the other side of this trend. So it, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I, I really can't wait for the start of the season. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited too. Um, where, if my dear listeners are looking for more of KP and it's not going to be on press row wearing a tie, where can they find more of your stuff? 
uh, at kpelton on Twitter and then uh, on ESPN.com where most of my stuff is part of ESPN Plus subscription now. Yeah, listen, get behind the paywall, y'all. Figure it out. Get your, uh, you know, you you just write write a small check. Write a small check to the good people at Disney because Kevin Pelton is doing good work and uh, he'll make you smarter about the game. I believe uh, f- a, a former tagline was using numbers to learn more about the game. And I um, there's very few people out there doing it better in a way that you can absorb it in, a, in simply and clearly than Kevin. Well, I appreciate you saying that. But also, even if you don't enjoy my work, it's a way better value now that, uh, you know, we have so many of other contributors now primarily doing ESPN Plus, Zach Lowe, you know, his his analysis, all sorts of reporting. So it's and uh, no change in the price. So you're just getting all that for a better value. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, This is maybe not your uh, maiden voyage on Lockdown Blazers, but certainly the first one you've ever done with me. And I, I hope we get to do it again soon. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah, I did a few with Eric back in the day. All right. Well, if you've done a few with Eric, I'm going to have to try to call in more <laughs> favors and get you to do, get up to the number a few with Mike. Uh, appreciate you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with us. Thanks for having me. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. Be there waiting for you. If you're listening to this on Monday morning or even Sunday evening, for those of you who get in on it early, it's Mailbag Monday this week. Don't forget to send in your questions. Just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter or email the show, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.